number two of Sports Talk begins. With Jimmy Hyams, I'm John Wilkerson, and we look forward to catching up this hour with our good friend Vince Ferrara, as uh, this week he is pinch-hitting for Josh Ward on Sports 180. But uh, Vince, kind enough to join us. Uh, He'll be with us until 5 o'clock. At 5 o'clock, we'll turn our attention to the National Football League with Mike Keith, the voice of the Titans, and we will have another challenging trivia question for you to start our fourth and final hour of the program and that'll be uh, with the Sports Fix at 6. But without further ado, we go to the Stanley Fencing and Gates hotline where you never know what you're going to learn about uh, compatriots, colleagues from one day to the next. Uh, we go to learned masseuse Vince Ferrara, who joins us now. <laughs> Vince, how are you? I am good. So did, did I did I miss like a segment of uh, of sports talk in the first hour about this uh, this new breaking this breaking news about Vince Ferrara taking a massage class look while he was seeking electives at the University of South Florida? <laughs> uh, well, no, we we were going to wait till we had you on to uh, to just gotcha. talk about everything. Uh, that's right. Uh, There's just so many lines that are. St- just swirling about right now that i'm just going to say um it's great to have you join us and you've been a very busy person of late doing all kinds of breakdowns but why don't we start first uh with something you and heather were talking about today on sports 180 and that is uh david evans piece where he talks to jeremy pruitt and uh and just it, it seemed as though there were a lot of very specific as well as uh pointed comments from tennessee's head football coach Definitely, and you use the word pointed, and his specifics in there, I think was was very powerful, strong, and I think it really resonates. And one that is really shows that he has got a big picture understanding of what his position is and his relationship with his players. I mean, he he mentioned the the three biggest awful incidents of. Uh, of shootings of African-Americans that, you know, the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery uh, mentioned those all specifically by name. And those are just three. And he, he talked about how, uh, you know, the, the black people in this country are mad and, and, and uh, all that they have been through, this isn't just a new thing. And it wasn't just a a generic statement. It was specific. It, It, it was, outlining what the what you know he has learned that they're dealing with and maybe he you know he questioned himself what you know why didn't I know some of this before but I think he has um, a great understanding right now of you know being knowing that the position he's in and showing the kids that he cares for them and he's not only going to talk to them about it but he wants to help them put together a plan to enact action. He said they're long on passion, but they're short on plans. And so he wants to help them and, you know, become an agent for change and encourage them to to speak out and um, that he's not just going to sit on the sidelines. And this is is the term that he used. Um, I, I thought, I thought the specifics of it, uh, really showing his understanding of of kids today because kids are a lot more complicated now than they were just you know ten years ago or certainly when uh, we and many others were, were growing up. It's a, it's a different world. The maturity level is sped up 
and you, they're they're aware of things that you know when we were young we we weren't aware of. Um, it's just a different world right now, and you have to be able to adapt to your to your players off the field in addition to on. And I think he's shown the ability to do both. I, I thought his words were. Uh, were very strong and uh, I think very well done and, and a good job by David Ubbin to, to get those from Jeremy Pruitt so it can be put out there and discussed. Vince, uh, you, you've alluded to this, but I thought it was interesting where Pruitt said, I felt like over the years I've been a good teammate and a player's coach as you can possibly be, but the more I've talked to our players, I realize other things that have affected them in the last 10 or 12 years, the history of things that have gone on that made – that they made me aware of, and I was like, hey, why did I not know about this? Why was I not aware of this? He also said something else that I thought was important. you got to start at home base before you work your way out, and I think that's true, mm-hmm. and I think that's what he is going to try to do with his football team. No, that's a good point, Jimmy. It it does, and we had Gene Chizik on, uh, on Sports 180, and he kind of expressed a similar uh, opinion that you, you have to take care – of your house first and then work your way out. And maybe you don't hear about some of the things that are are happening. That doesn't mean that nothing is happening. It means that you're starting from within and his responsibility is his football team and those kids and the promises that he made to their family members when they decided to come to Tennessee was that he was going to take care of them and not just Jeremy Pruitt, but his entire staff and and everyone involved in the football program. And that's that's following up on that, and that's doing it the right way. Doesn't mean that they can't and won't expand on those plans, but, but doing it from within, seeing how he can help those kids express themselves, have a plan, and, and make a difference with them first, and, and then it, it will expand from it I think is the right approach and one that will I think you know pay dividends as he continues to self-reflect when he talked about critiquing himself Jimmy this goes back to last year before the season where he he talked about hey I looked back on you know that that first season and we just you know I didn't spend enough time on working on relationships with with my players and he focused on that and I think it was because he he did that, I think it's it's continued to open his eyes that hey I, I need I need to connect and help these these players out and show them that I care for them uh, first and foremost, and then we can get to the football and everything else from there. And I, I think this is a reflection of of that evolution of you know the relationships of the players, and then you can. Uh, you know, expand and, and do more after that. When you did your research about the notable decommits from the SEC over the last 30 months, were you surprised to learn that Tennessee was second on that decommit list with 30 behind only Florida? I was. I thought that was a pretty big number. And certainly we follow it, Jimmy and John, and we, we hear about the decommits, but the number did strike me as pretty high at, at 30. Um, when you look back, it's about a 30-month period. Pruitt started December, was announced as the coach of December 7th of 2017. And if you think back on that, there were a bunch of new hires in the league 
at that time. Chad Morris at Arkansas, Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State, Dan Mullen at Florida, Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, and then Matt Luke was named the permanent head coach at uh, at Ole Miss at the time. So there was a lot of movement. So I, when looking back on it, I wanted to kind of start with Pruitt and then having all those other changes around the same time, I thought, let me look back on these 30 months since those new coaches took over or approximately December 1st. Let me see how Tennessee compares to others. And, you know, Florida, and you think back, Florida had a lot of fluidity with, with their uh, with their decommits and their, their commit class, especially early on. And I remember the, the reaction to that. Oh, what's going on in Florida? Everybody's decommitting. Well, they kind of settled things down. And so when you look at 30 for Tennessee, what is that? It's, it's an average of once one per month. And that you can, you think, all right, they're second in the sec. Does that mean that they're going to see a bunch of decommits? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, if if they continue this one per month trend that they've been on under Pruitt in his first now you know couple of years, this will be his technically his fourth signing class 2021. If that that continues, there's about six months to the early signing period if that stays, and eight months to National Signing Day in February. Six to eight players leaving your class. Out of 24, that's a third of your class that could change and be different. Now, you may say, I was playing people, they're, they're probably thinking, that's fine. Oh, we want to upgrade from some of those three stars, you know. Um, and that will probably happen to some degree. And then other kids are probably going to go on their own when things open up and they get the face-to-face also. Um, but it, it did strike me as a, as a big number. And the 2018 class had 12 decommits. The 2019 class only had five. The 2020 class had 12. But the 2020 class was still pretty strong. So it doesn't necessarily mean that if you have a lot of decommits that you're not going to have a good class or you're missing out on a bunch of players or people are running away from Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, people can look at those numbers however they want. Um, And I think another difference for this year's class, besides them being more stable as a program right now, I think is the fact that Tennessee is not having to go to other schools' commits to make up their class this year. Every year, especially last year, you heard about, wow, Tennessee, they're still going after this guy that's committed to this school. When you talk to to whether it's Jesse Simonton or Austin Price or Brent Hubs or whoever, hey, talk about this commit from this school that Tennessee's still after. You don't really hear about that this year because you're not having to rely on that uh, as much this year with the makeup of their class. So it may not necessarily lead to more decommits, but with the expected spike in decommits, it's something that I wanted to put out there and just say, all right, here's what it looks like in the past. Here's how it compares to other schools. A&M only has 10 during that same period of time. So it is. it was just interesting to, to see how it laid out. But, yes, it was the, – the number was surprising for me at 30 over 30 months. Our guest, Vince Ferrara, if you want to join the conversation, 656-9900, star 990 is free. For AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers, the toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. More with Vince coming up as you listen to Sports Talk on 99.1, the sports animal. 
Only one radio station makes your workday a little more manageable. Only one station is 99.1. The Sports Animal. Continues with Jimmy Hyams. I'm John Wilkerson. Our guest Vince Ferrara is he's with us until five o'clock uh, with hour number two of the program. To join us, six five six ninety nine hundred six five six ninety nine hundred star nine ninety is free for AT and T and U S cellular customers. The toll free number one eight six 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 five six. 9900. Before we dive back into the conversation with Vince, we are going to check in with the newsroom uh, and Eric Glasgow here in mere moments. But uh, Vince, uh, before we check in with Eric, why don't actually I'll tell you what we'll go right now to Eric and then get the uh, the heads up from Vince as to what's going to be on in the cage tomorrow night. But we now go to our friend Eric Glasgow from our sister station, News Talk 98.7. Eric, how are you? Doing outstanding. How are you this afternoon? Happy to say the same. So. Uh, What's going on today? Well, officials with Knox County, Blunt County, and Loudoun County Health Departments say they will no longer distribute masks supplied by the state due to safety concerns related to the antimicrobial agent used to treat the fabric. The Knox County Health Department confirmed they gave out nearly 150,000 cloth face coverings from the state. They stopped issuing the masks on Friday after discovering Silvadur was used to treat that fabric. A lab in Oak Ridge has created a test that can detect the coronavirus on surfaces. The test is one of a handful of its kind and is being positioned as a way to validate cleaning and disinfection procedures in high-touch areas. The test can be a way to reassure employees they're returning to a safe workspace. State and local leaders are pleading with Washington for more federal aid for coronavirus. Many counties are slashing sizable chunks of their government workforce in states are staring down red ink, but the Senate resumes session uh, on Monday with no immediate plans to consider a fresh round of relief. The Knox County Health Department has released the latest COVID-19 numbers. 410 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the county. 70 cases are active. 335 people have recovered, and there are no people currently hospitalized with COVID-19. Five deaths total in Knox County are connected to COVID-19. This has been your COVID-19 update for Sports Radio WNML. I'm Eric Glasgow. Eric, thank you very much. Have a great night, and we'll catch up with you tomorrow. You do the same, sir. Look forward to it. All right, sure do appreciate it. And, of course, for all the information, you can go through either their social media platforms or visit their very user-friendly website, Newstalk987.com. Vince Ferrara with us. And, Vince, why don't you tell us what's on tomorrow night on Tap 4 in the Cage? We are going to look back on Saturday night's, this past Saturday night's event in Las Vegas as the UFC moved to their headquarters in Las Vegas at the Apex and had a really good show and a lot of finishes. So we're going to look back on that, uh, talking about the main event. And also we'll look ahead to UFC 250. Their next pay-per-view is this weekend. And Amanda Nunes, who is the, the best 
women's MMA fighter of all time in the UFC. She's defending her one of her two titles on Saturday night. So that's back in Vegas. So we'll preview that. And we're going to talk to a MMA referee, uh, Jimmy Neely, who uh, has worked with us uh, here regionally at Valor Fighting Challenge. Has done a lot of Knoxville shows, but he's refereed in the UFC as well. So we'll get his perspective on what it's like to be a MMA referee and be in the middle of all that and controversies and and everything else that a referee has to do. So we'll get some unique perspective with referee Jimmy Neely on tomorrow night's show from 8 to 9 that you can get on all the platforms that you podcast afterwards. Uh, Listen to it live on uh, on Wednesday nights, 8 to 9 here on 99.1 D Sports Animal. All right, look forward to that. And again, if you have a question or comment for Vince, 656-9900-656-9900. Vince, when you look at Tennessee's recruiting class, they're standing strong at 24 commits. And what do you think it will be like to manage that number as well as fend off schools that are continuing to recruit those players that have said yes to Tennessee over some other uh, elite programs or – who Tennessee might still be chasing, even though it looks like they have a number, uh, a lot of hay in the barn, so to speak. Well, it is a lot of playing defense. And you know, when we talked to Tom Luganbill uh, recently, he you know, reiterated that, look, uh, these, these coaches in these positions, including Tennessee, are, are going to have to recruit as hard, if not harder, once the players are committed than before that and it's it's like it's on now and so i think that that is going to continue um with not having the face-to-face you just always have to be wondering and staying in contact with those players because you just never know who's continuing to go after the the players that you have committed and you know I, i make a list of who the the targets are and uh and when you look at tennessee schools i mean players that are considering Tennessee, that Tennessee is going after, that have listed Tennessee on their short list, I still came up with a couple of pages of players. They're not going to get a couple of pages of players unless they have some fuzzy math that none of us have been privy to. And you never know with college football head coaches, but there's still a lot of big-time targeted players in there. Now, there are a couple of guys like Tony Grimes, the – talented five-star corner from Virginia Beach. He didn't make his Tennessee didn't make their final four. Dietrich Pennington from Cordova, a need position for Tennessee as an offensive lineman, potentially defensive lineman, but um, obviously a needed offensive line, a uh, four-star in-state player, and he uh, Tennessee wasn't on his short list as well. Didn't mean that Tennessee is giving up in one or both of those situations, but um, they're, they're still – that's still a little bit of a blow because he was about as high of an offensive line prospect as highly rated as there is other than Mary, maybe a, a Marius Sims from Georgia would still, would probably be a long shot. So there's still work to be done. John, I think it, you'll see the fluctuations. We're talking about decommitments. I expect to see the number fluctuate, whether they go over the 25 and then come back down, or if you, if it just ends up being a, a wobble, like you see, uh, per, the the spaghetti charts with the uh, for hurricanes where they're just kind of wobbling up and down and then have all those curves. They'll probably be hovering around hovering around this number 
uh, and going up and down the rest of the way. But I do think it's going to be a challenge for them to be on the defensive end versus the offensive end where they have gone after a lot of committed players at other schools. Now they're going to be the ones that people are covering, covering their players, whether it's players from Maryland or in the state of Alabama, or if it's players that they're kind of initiating saying, hey, you may want to look elsewhere. I, I do think there's going to be a lot of movement for the staff, but I expect them to handle it well and not really drop off considerably in the rankings when it's all said and done. They probably will a little bit uh, because other people are going to add elite prospects that haven't yet, and Tennessee's got that big number. But uh, I, I think it'll work out well, and they'll continue to bust their butts like they have to this point. Yeah, and, and while, as you mentioned, they're certainly going to play a lot of defense uh, on their 2021 commits, they're also doing a lot of groundwork for uh, 2022 and beyond, aren't they? They are, and I think that's another one of the advantages of having this class be where it's at. You certainly can't just drop the book and say, I'm done. You, you still need to open it up and, and, uh, and still revisit it. And I think they will continue to do that, like we talked about with their committed players and other players that they're targeting in 2021. But this gives you a little bit more time and uh, to, to recruit those 2022 and 2023 players. Tennessee is the one school in the SEC that has already had a 2023 decommit. <laughs> it's part of their 30. So they're already working well in advance, and they will continue – to do so, but it really helps that now that they've had this kind of class and they've been able to cash in on their relationships that they've been working on for years, now kids, I think, will have more of an advanced trust in them. So when they are looking for kids down the road in those future classes, I think you have a better chance of, of connecting with them. And I wonder how the early signing period I asked Jesse Simonson about that, and he thought it was a little bit too early. But I I wonder if the early signing period will get pushed back at all because of all of this virtual recruiting, the extended dead period. If they when they are they going to open up any sort of recruiting with uh, uh, with period evaluation periods in August, September, and October that have been proposed, or are, are they going to say, hey, the student athletes need more time? Will that early signing period maybe get taken off the board for one year and say, hey, let's not rush these kids anymore into their into their decisions because, yes, there are a lot of them making decisions now, but when things open up, will, will they take advantage of that? Will they start to go to other schools and you see a lot of the decommitments? Or because of maybe limitations in travel, you'll get into the high school and college seasons will there not be a lot of change and maybe everyone will stand pat on it to where you feel like, okay, well, let's just, let's just keep these kids that you keep the early signing period as it's always been. I think it'll be interesting to see what they do with that because you can make an argument that, that maybe for one year they scrap that early signing period to give kids that extra six weeks to the national signing day to make a decision. Now that's something that'll be interesting to monitor from the NCAA and what they decide on that. 
our guest Vince Ferrara to join us 656-9900 656-9900 star 990 is free for AT&T and US cellular customers the toll free number 1-866-656-9900 more with Vince coming up as you listen to Sports Talk on 99.1 The Sports Animal Jimmy Hyams, I'm John Wilkerson, our guest Vince Ferrara to uh, join us, 656-9900, 656-9900, star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers, the toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. Vince, I wanted to ask you this, and, and you've gone through the numbers and so forth and explained them very well, but I, I do wonder if you think Tennessee with 24 commits are they less likely to have a huge volume of decommits since you're at 24? Or do you think the fact that they took a lot of kids uh, when they had uh, during the dead period, when they weren't at camp, uh, do you think that will lead to perhaps just as many decommits because of the lack of evaluation when they took those commitments? Well, I think, though, for various reasons, I think you'll see some decommits. One interesting thing, Jimmy, is when, when I, I did the blog and I laid it out by year, by uh, signing class, Tennessee's decommits, they don't have one yet for the 2021 class. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that it's different now, that kids aren't, because of uh, Tennessee's momentum and progress, that they're not decommitting from Tennessee? So they could have a run on decommits, and still be down from other years in terms of what the numbers are. Um, so I, I, I think there, there will be various reasons why you'll see them change, but I don't think they'll get quite to the numbers like 12. In two of the three classes, they've had 12 decommits. They're at zero right now. And I, wasn't count, I didn't count any guys that decommitted and ended up back at Tennessee. These are yeah. just guys that, that moved on elsewhere. So I think they'll have some, Jimmy. I, if, if, if I had to guess what's one side or the other, will they be below the uh, or above the one-per-month trend that they've had since Pruitt took over in the 30 months? I would say below that. But I do think you'll have some of them encouraged to go, others making decisions. Because you know, keep in mind, as you know, they have a lot of players from out of state. So, you know, that when things do open up a little bit more, it might be easier for them to go to a, a low, a, you know, the, the closest college that's near them. Like, for example, those two kids from Maryland and Evans and Willis, you know, Maryland, I'm sure, is continuing to work on those guys. And if those guys have an easier time of getting on Maryland's campus versus Tennessee, then that's something you're, you, you know, is, is to consider. So I think it will be a little bit more difficult for for Tennessee to hang on to some guys. But I think it will be a variety of reasons, but not quite as big a number as that trend has been of of one per month. Do you think that there's a pretty decent chance that uh, one of the running backs will find another home? Well, um, you know, for Tennessee's standpoint, uh, it – it would be great for them if it wasn't Cody Brown because I 
I think from a size and speed standpoint, I think he is the most complete of that group. But I think you could very well see, you know, Jalen Wright was a kid that, you know, they've had on board for a while. He's not quite rated as high. He's a three-star. And then anytime you get with, uh, you know, the the JUCOs, you have to wonder about them and, and where they're at, like, a you know, a tie on Evans. Um, so, you know, there he's going to continue to be recruited as well. He's 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 bigger than Cody Brown, but he is shorter also, just a different stockier type of, of back. Uh, so, yeah, those are guys, the, the Duco and, and Wright, I would think, would be guys that you want to look out for. And, you know, even a Cody Brown in Georgia, those he's going to be uh, recruited um, uh, at a high level also. But I think that's really the – the best of that group in terms of that running back class. Not not everyone will probably feel that way. Some might like Evans more, but I think Brown is the guy that Tennessee will want to hold on to as much as possible. Our guest, Vince Ferrara, as he joins us on the Stanley Fencing and Gates hotline. Vince, it's uh, no doubt about it. I know you talked a lot about it with Heather uh, this week, and that is uh, – we're less than a week away from perhaps student athletes working out on campus with voluntary workouts. And so as folks hope to, uh, to get, uh, take a giant step back towards normalcy, what do you think in terms of what we could see in a week or so, as well as uh, what it might hold in the NBA, as well as Major League Baseball, if we get there? Uh, well, you're talking about like players coming back to the University of Tennessee, or just in sports, sports overall in general. First, at the University of Tennessee. Okay. Um, well, I, I was thinking about this since the end of the show, and another another thing that I wonder about when players come back, or is that you know Tennessee is over that scholarship number, so and they're probably not the only one, and kids. You know, just starting to get back. I wonder if even with just workout or team activities that we may see some kids make determinations that, you know, this isn't the place for me and I need to move on or, or they're, you know, they, maybe the interaction isn't with the coaches like they hoped it would be or remembered it being. I'm not saying that's going to happen at Tennessee, but it wouldn't surprise me if once kids start getting back on campus, because they weren't able to really get an evaluation in the spring that maybe some kids will say, you know what, I need to go somewhere else. They're not doing workouts, or, you know, they're not doing practices, I should say. So I don't know how much they'll find out about where they stand on depth charts, but maybe it is something that's a, an eye-opening experience to say, you know what, I need to go elsewhere Again, I'm not just talking about Tennessee. I'm talking about other places as well. Something to keep an eye on when players start to come back. As far as MLB and the NBA, I think I think MLB talking about 50 games is, uh, you know, it, to me that's unrealistic. It, so is 114. You know what's right in the middle of those two? 82. So um, <laughs> I don't know how hard this is for them to come together, but just listening to Buster Olney, who's as good a MLB reporter as there is, you know, talk about how neither side is really, they keep throwing proposals at each other, but they're not like trying to meet in the middle or really negotiating. They're just kind of publicly 
playing tennis with each other and, you know, hitting, hitting proposals back with a racket over the net and not really accomplishing a whole lot. So at some point you gotta, you gotta try to hit a winner, right, Jimmy? You can't just, just stay in the, in a, in a rally for too long. (laughs) They don't have time for that. It's good exercise. Not going to help them get a major league baseball season in. Um, and just really wouldn't be a good look if they can't figure all this out. So somehow they need to. And I'm, I'm not just pointing the, the, the finger at one side or the other. I think there's a responsibility on both sides to figure this out. And MLB is going to save some. The owners are going to – if they give in more in terms of money now, they're going to make up for it at some point down the road by cutting expenses or, or whatever. They're going to they're gonna find ways to get their money back. So – I think they need to to both figure it out and and not lose a season because I don't think there's the the patience for it right now with fans. And as far as the NBA goes, I just would like to see everybody come back. If they do any sort of regular season, uh, they're those they're all professionals. Uh, I'm sure a lot of players want to play. This idea of oh, only if you're in the playoff hunt should you come back. If it's safe enough for those other teams to come back, why isn't it safe enough for everybody else? Just because you only want to see the most meaningful games and teams, it's still a profession for them. And it should, to me, it's not like college football where some are impacted more than others. They're going into their bubbles. So I think they should all come back unless they're going to go straight to the playoffs. And if they do that, then you just bring the playoff teams in. But, I just don't like the fact of oh we'll just here here's where we'll cut it off and we'll only do these teams. No, to me, if you're doing any regular season, you need to bring them all back in uh, or go straight to the playoffs. But again, that it's in the grand scheme of things, complain it's not a complain about it. You, you'll take anything, but yeah, that's just my opinion on it. Yeah, well, I I agree and echo your remarks about the NBA. I, I think that it's one thing for the National Hockey League to say we've expanded our postseason. When we resume, it'll be with the playoffs, and it'll be here with this number of teams moving forward. If indeed there is any section of a regular season to be completed, and we know that the NBA wants to play about five or so games to hit that 70 mark, which is very important in regards to their regional broadcasting commitments. Otherwise, they probably uh, they play next year free <laughs> without TV revenue uh, from their respective markets. I, I just think that you've got to include all 30, and, uh, and I'm really surprised there's been as much traction to the 22 proposal as there has been. I'm with you, and I, look, I, I think that's coming from people that just want to see entertaining games when we come back. But we're we're only talking about to get to that 70, as you alluded to, John. We're only talking about five games, and let's make this. You're never going to have it be totally fair because it's you're you're not doing home arenas and all that. But you're you're not talking about an extended period of time. Let's try to to play this out as close to the norm as possible with everybody playing the same number of games and and have it be fair as fair as possible under the circumstances and when you're bringing all the teams into you know a location i think that's that's the best way to do it get your five games in get get the you know the the team some work some experience um, and then, and then when you get to that mark or just beyond that, then whoever's in the playoff spots, you move forward from there and send everybody else home. 
We'll get a break and be back with a final segment to hour number two of Sports Talk. Again, our guest, Vince Ferrara, 656-9900, 656-9900 puts you on 99.1, the sports animal. From the Budweiser Studios of Cumulus Broadcasting. Here's to swimming with bow-legged women. This is Sports Radio WNML. segment to hour number two of sports talk i'm john wilkerson with jimmy hyams our guest vince farrar to get a question or a comment in under the wire 656-9900-656-9900 vince in regard to the percentage of scholarship players signed by pruitt and butch jones what is your breakdown there well of the 89 and i mentioned 91 but a couple of those were walk-ons that you know are uh, you would think with tennessee being over the number uh, you know, may not be on scholarship this year. We'll, we'll see the way it plays out. But just projecting 89 at this point, it's certainly fluid. You, it, UT doesn't have to kind of sort that out still for a while until we get into August. But, you know, just looking at projecting 89, of the 89, look through, and 22 of those were signed by Butch Jones. And that means 67 of the 89 have been signed by Jeremy Pruitt over the last three signing classes. That's 75% of the roster signed by Jeremy Pruitt. That's a a pretty big number and kind of fits with, you know, now three classes for Jeremy Pruitt that three-quarters of the team would be signed by Pruitt. I think that's a good sign for Tennessee that now you're getting more of the Pruitt type of players, their kind of characteristics and traits that they're looking for both physically and mentally, uh, their makeup, their versatility, all those different things that they they covet to fit what they want to do on the field. So the more Pruitt players you got, the more you can it, it, he can maximize. I think those players, and even though they've all they've been developed, whether they're his or not, but then also then you you can really judge Jeremy Pruitt more effectively when he has his players that he is coaching. Uh, there's a couple in the 16 class. Though those guys will move on after this year. But there's a number in the 17 class also, a few redshirt juniors. So there, there may be a few left over next year, depending on who stays. But Jimmy, out of those 22 that are that were signed by Butch Jones, I, kinda, I looked at it, and there's about nine projected starters out of that 22. You know, obviously, Trey Smith, you got Jerry Garantano, Ty Chandler, Josh Palmer, uh, Brandon Johnson, Austin Pope, uh, DeAndre Johnson, and Kevon Bennett at those outside backer positions, and Sean Schamberger. Now, when you list those names, some of them don't really pop out at you. I think over time, some of those guys will be passed up by younger Pruitt signed players. But I think the point is, is especially early on, that even though three-quarters of the roster now has been signed by Jeremy Pruitt, he's still going to lean on those older guys that have been developed at a much better clip under Pruitt than they were uh, with Butch Jones. He's still going to need to, to lean on those guys to hold down those positions until the younger guys are ready to go, or, or maybe not at all in the case of, you know, of a, of a Trey Smith. So interesting that more of the 
roster is Pruitt's, but they still need to get the most of and continue to develop those 22 Butch Jones players on the team as well. Well, see, I think you can judge Pruitt based on what he has done with the Butch Jones players for a couple of reasons. One, sometimes it's hard to convert those guys and to get them to buy in. And I think last year he clearly did that. Secondly, a lot of those guys, like Nigel Warrior, got better under Pruitt's watch. And I do remember the narrative last year, which I totally disagreed with, that they just need to bench the Butch Jones players and go with Pruitt's players, when many of the best players were Jones guys. So I give Pruitt a lot of credit for for the melting pot of bringing those guys together, whether they were his recruits or Butch Jones's, because I think if he had given up on the Butch Jones kids, there's no way in the world they win eight games and go to a bowl game. So I give him a big thumbs up for that, Vince. 100%. And those guys were so important to help Pruitt turn that team around. There were those Butch Jones signees that have moved on now. So absolutely, I'm not discrediting them at, by any means or Pruitt getting more out of them by any means. I just think the totality of your judgment of Jeremy Pruitt as a head coach, I think you're closer to it once you see, all right, is he bringing in the right guys? Is he developing the right guys? In addition to giving him credit for making the most and developing those players he inherited as well, that's all, that'll all be factored in and, and that full judgment of him that I mentioned but him, we got to make sure that these are the right guys that he's bringing in and that that development continues with those younger players in addition to those existing players. Our guest, Vince Ferrara. And, Vince, you uh, I don't know if you happen to see this or not, but it's been interesting to see so many classic moments uh, from sporting events gone by but uh, did you happen to see that they replayed a Little League World Series game where Tennessee's Jake Rucker was a part of the action? I did not. I missed that, John. <laughs> and uh, and also, as we talked with uh, Tony Vitello yesterday, um, it looks like there are perhaps a handful of Um, You look at areas, he mentioned specifically the Northwoods League, uh, also the Coastal Plains League, which is over in the Carolinas. But it looks like there could be a handful of landing spots and summer college baseball leagues uh, this summer, which I would not have expected. No, and that's what I was going to say is that surprises me a little bit. But, you know, you're starting to see some high school activities and college activities come back a little bit. But now we're talking about organized team sports with, you know, with other teams and, you know, the, the unknown, I guess those guys are all staying in those, would say in the same areas. So um, it's a little bit more understandable, but wow, to pull that off and to, to do it on fairly short notice, Hey, if those guys can get a little bit of extra work in, they'll take it. And um, there largely will be in areas where those warm enough weather, um, I also thought it was interesting what he said to you guys about the, the draft, that the draft of the Major League Baseball is really going to rely on a lot of college players, which would bode well for Tennessee being able to hold on to its really good signing class. And um, they've been hit hard by it before, not so much last year, but I think that would be uh, a real bonus. You, you get this really loaded roster. You only maybe lose one or two elite players and crochet and Solari and you hold together your, your good signing class. If that's the case, uh, and they don't sign us free agents as well. I, I think that uh, can really bode well 
for uh, for next year for UT. I, I don't believe, uh, I don't think there's any question that uh, that could be good news for the Big Orange, but it is going to be something to see exactly how you manage the roster because while you do have the availability and you get a break on the numbers, um, you're not getting any kind of break on the scholarship money, which doesn't make any sense, does it? Uh, it does not. I agree with you there, and I'm, that's a sore subject for the coach <laughs> Vitello and a lot of other coaches. They're undervalued in that in the scholarship number to begin with and then you have the roster crunch on top of that it's just it's a nearly impossible deal and it, it's just unfortunate for the teams and uh, and also for the kids as well they get just a smaller portion of the pot that you're having to divide up even more hey vince we always appreciate the time thank you so much uh, look forward to you pinch hitting for josh again tomorrow from noon to three on Sports 180, as well as with the rest of the week, and, of course, with uh, In the Cage tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. But thank you for joining us this afternoon. I always appreciate it, guys. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks, Vince. All right, you as well. That's Vince Ferrara.